it's a different world, honestly. Um, a lot of people like have cat avatars and stuff like this, and they're using a lot of acronyms that you really have to try to translate. What's wrong with the cat avatar, Brian? Why, <laughs> you know? why are you throwing shade at the cat avatar? <laughs> I don't own any NFTs yet. It seems to me like a homeowner's association with like a nudist colony and a little bit of Lord of the Flies. Welcome to The Rebooting Show. I'm Brian Morrissey. Thank you to everyone who's left a rating and review of the show. It's appreciated. If you do use Apple Podcasts, please do go leave a rating and a review. This week, I'm speaking to Jason Yanowitz. Jason is a co-founder of BlockWorks, which if you don't know, it is a publisher focused on crypto. There's a whole group of these new publishers in this new area, and I'm officially uh, crypto curious. So I'm hoping that Jason doesn't get too aggressive with the acronyms and the jargon because there'll be long pauses for my end if he does. Jason, welcome. Thanks for having me. Glad to hear that we're pulling you down into the crypto rabbit hole. No, no, I love it. I feel like I've been following your newsletter and I every couple of weeks I see that you're inching deeper. So it's good to see. No, I have. And I'm actually open-minded about it. And I think we're going to get into it later because for some reason, everything is divisive these days. Like even the vibe shift, I feel like is divisive. People say there's no vibe shift. There is a vibe shift. Um, but like for some reason, everything becomes divisive and I want to get into it because I, I believe in a lot of the, the concepts that make sense to me. Also, I, f I feel like you can be critical of something and still say, hey, yeah, this sounds like it might be inevitable. But let's start going over your own like journey to how um, you got here. Like, what? How did you get into crypto? Like, was there some burning bush moment that you had in Miami at some point? Yeah, it was actually a burning man. No, I'm just kidding. It was 2015. I lived in uh, Budapest, uh, Hungary, okay. actually. And the Hungarian people that I was friends with, you know, their parents lived under, you know, like Soviet regime, right? In the yeah. 1950s and 60s and stuff like that. And so they were super into this concept of like self-sovereign money and Bitcoin. And they kind of pulled me into the rabbit hole. And uh, that was 2015. And uh, I thought it was cool. And then 27 and I, like put it aside. And then 2017, when the market started ripping again, uh, that's when I did, picked it back up and like jumped full time into it. Yeah. So you got into it. Were you immediately a true believer? Because that's the part I want to get into, because I feel like there are definitely religious overtones to some parts of crypto. And I think that's a positive. And of course, it can be a negative, too. There are your your belief on crypto depends entirely on when you came into the cycle. Right. Yeah. And so. So I guess, so no, I was not a true, like true believer. It feels like a religion already. I guess it is a religion, really. If you look at crypto Twitter, but yeah, exactly. you, um, so I, like I heard about Bitcoin, I think it takes, I, I don't think you have like, I don't think anyone when they first hear about this stuff has that like, boom, aha moment. Maybe they're 10 times smarter than I am probably are, but it took me about two years. 2017 is when I heard, I actually went to this talk on a Sunday afternoon and heard all about Ethereum from the CMO of this company, Consensus, doesn't really matter. But yeah. that was when I was like, ah, this is really, really interesting. Um, and that was kind of the, that event was like the genesis moment for Blockworks, I would call it, uh, which was the the kind of aha moment that we had, which was entirely wrong for the first couple of months, is that every sort of like enterprise and Fortune 500 would adopt this stuff. We were on the right track, which is that the institutions would ad eventually adopt this stuff and that this would eventually become an institutional asset class. But early, early, early thesis of Blockworks is that we would build media and then sell advisory and consulting services. Uh, and that was entirely wrong. Horrible business model and just the wrong thesis. But wait, so I'm sorry, this was in 2017? 
This was 2017. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the original, I'm, I'm trying to go back in time. Like in 2017, there was a, a lot of the sort of narrative, if you will, was around blockchains, like overall, like and how blockchains would be in every industry. And there was the sort of Bitcoin crowd, which was, you know, a little strange. This was before the ICO craze, right? Yeah, this was as the ICO craze was going on. This was like the heart. This was like the heart of the bubble. I would call it the heart of the. We ran up from a thousand bucks to twenty thousand bucks, and yeah, yeah, the narrative was the narrative at that time was all of these. It was it was like Walmart was running commercials for moving their supply chain onto the blockchain. Right. right? It was yeah. very like blockchain, not Bitcoin, meets like ICOs, and both of those were actually both of those were the foundation of something that was turned out to be true three to four years later. But both of those specific ideas enterprise blockchain and ICOs turned out to be wildly wrong. Yeah. So the initial white space that you and and your co-founder saw was in the corporations and institutions adopting blockchain. The yes, I can back it up. The white space okay. that we saw was entirely around just information in the industry. So okay. we would go to these events. I was kind of pulling my co-founder to come to these events and things like that. And the white space that we saw was that I'm not sure how long you've been looking at the industry, but like in 2017, there were basically two media sites. You had Coindesk and Cointelegraph. Yeah. You had like maybe one or two podcasts. And then you've got like a bunch of information on things like Twitter and Reddit. And we would go to these events. They were clearly run by a bunch of scammers, but you'd have like one or two people that you would meet at the event. And you'd say like, there's something here, right? There's something here. And then you look online and you'd be like, I don't agree with any of this. Like, this seems like a bunch of people pumping different coins and things like that. But like 1% of this feels real. And we've done so much wrong over the last four years. But the one thing that we got right is believing that crypto would eventually become an institutional asset class and that there would need that we would need better information, insights, data, analysis, news, research, et cetera, for the massive cohort of capital markets people coming into crypto. And so that's kind of the bedrock of uh, what Blockworks was built on. Well, I mean, if you think about it, you can get a lot of things wrong, but you have to get one or two big things right. And so you got the big thing right, right? Like, I mean, the fact that in 2017, if you saw crypto in quotes as inevitable and you attached yourself onto that, then that's the big thing you just have to get right, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that most startups and companies have pivoted so many times in their history that it's almost a little bit hard to tell the story, right? But I think the main thing is that they're on, they're in the right industry and they're like, they're like early, early, early thesis is right. The execution yeah. might be wrong 10 different times, but we're we just hit the phase of Blockworks where I feel like the train is on the tracks. There's like rocket fuel behind us and we're scaling yeah. pretty quickly now. But for the first couple of years, it was like, all right, what are we building here? What are we doing here? So, yeah. So tell me about those first couple of years, because you mentioned like the early media companies in here and it's all coin, 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 coin. And I think that's because the action was in the coins. The, the ICOs were hot at the time and stuff like this. You know, the initial focus was different than that. So we hosted our first event February of 2018. And then I went like full time, like quit my job and my co-founder quit his job. And we launched the business full time May of 2018. And by that point, we had the thesis locked in, which is that crypto would eventually become an institutional asset class. and potentially even one of the largest asset classes in the world. And if that happened, there needed to be better information and insights and things like that. Us, we don't come from like this almost entrenched 
media, like I, I meet so many people who are like media operators, right? And like one of our advisors, like Sean Griffey, like love the guy. Yeah. He's like, he's been a media operator for like 30 years, right? We come from a totally different world, right? Like I worked in software before this and then at a VC firm before that. I just didn't know the media space, right? And so we built the media company basically ass backwards. So we launched with conferences first. Most media companies, you launch with editorial, you launch with news, you build your audience, and then you're like, great, let's monetize this community. We were like, let's build conferences. Great. We built some of the best conferences in the industry. Then we built podcasts and we built the largest podcast network in the industry. Then we launched a newsletter. We're like, great. Now we're building the newsletter. Then we launched webinars. And then we're like, what the hell are we doing here? We've got all these products and you can kind of think of it like floating here, here. I'm using my hands here, but like, I don't know if... I don't think this goes out on video, but like you've got all these floating products, right? And we're like, what is we, what are we doing here? And then COVID hit and then we can get into what happened during COVID. And then January of 2021, we launched our media site. So if you actually go to blockworks.co, you see this whole news site. I'm biased, but I think we have the best journalists in the industry. They're putting out really hard hitting news, getting a lot of scoops. That is only one year old. That's only one year old, but that tied our entire business together, I'd say. Yeah. So let's actually go back to starting on events because it's something I know really well because at Digiday. We started like Digiday. Yeah. It was very similar. There's advantages and disadvantages to that 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 I'd love to get into. I think the advantages of starting events is just simply monetization. Events monetize really well, particularly if you can put yourself in a fast growing space that has lots of money being thrown at it and you can be a, a way that people can make more money by connecting with each other. So that must have been a big advantage, right? Because you didn't have to take funding. Exactly. Yeah. So we've never had to raise outside venture funding because yeah. of the because we started with conferences. Um, and we've got like, we kind of just, we, we got lucky, right? We just didn't know really what we didn't know. But we ended up building a community of like some of the most valuable people in the world, which are massive money managers, hedge fund managers, portfolio managers, endowments, insurance institutions, family offices who are allocating to crypto. And that turned out to be a really valuable audience for this like institutional bucket of crypto companies that ended up getting built in like 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2020. Fireblocks and Copper and BlockFi and Gemini and Coinbase, all these institutional uh, crypto brands. And they used BlockWorks to acquire customers. And we kind of sat in the middle of that relationship. Okay. So, but th- they're looking to acquire, like, these are big, not on the, the retail side, like not like the, you know, me with my like few thousand dollars worth of coins. Side. Oh, don't discount yourself, Brian. Don't, <laughs> don't discount yourself. As I said, I'm still curious to newbie in this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll change that by the end of the episode. <laughs> well, I don't know. The value will be in the hundreds of dollars, depending on how long this thing goes. <laughs> So we pushed as far to the end of the B2B spectrum as humanly possible. Like we did not have a social media. We did not put out content. We did not care about any of that. We had conferences where you paid $1,000 a ticket, like $3,000 a ticket for a VIP ticket. Sponsorships were were very expensive, quickly became the most expensive sponsorships in the entire industry with the conferences. And yeah, it it was about as B2B as you can get. And I think that's what the companies ethos and core of the company was for the first about two and a half, three years was really this like B2B, you know, there's all these other media companies. We are the institutional media brand in crypto. We bridge the gap between capital markets, finance and, and crypto. 
Yeah. And that's a great place to be, right? Anytime you can like be at the intersection of two massive industries that needs, they speak different languages, I think to some degrees, probably still. And so, you know, anytime you can be that, that translation and connectivity layer, it's a good, good place to be. Explain yeah, how you got into podcasts then, because again, you don't know what you don't know, right? So that's the good part about it. But normally people would be like, okay, now I need to like start like a newsletter because I need to continue to market to these people for the events, really. That's why a lot of events companies sometimes can be not very good because it's really just treated as a way to be able to continue to market to people for the events because that's where the money is. Yeah. I think if we had bigger brains and we were smarter, we would have done the newsletter earlier. <laughs> but again, we didn't come from this like entrenched media world. Like I didn't yeah. know like the political business model and like everyone's like, oh, the Axios business model is so good. And like, <laughs> I'm like, I didn't know any of that. So we were, so Mike and I sat down and we're like, what do we like? What do we use and consume yeah. and listen to and things like that? And there's this one podcast that uh, this guy, Naval and Nick Sabo went on Tim Ferriss's podcast in 2017. And I remember it was like winter break or something like that. It was over the holidays. And Mike and I were roommates at the time. And we would listen to this like three hour podcast. And every 10 minutes, we would play it. We'd play 10 minutes and then we'd pause it and be like, did you understand that? He'd be like, nope. Did you understand <laughs> that? I'd be like, nope. And we'd talk about it. And then we research it. And then once we understood it, we'd spend like an hour researching those 10 minutes. And then we were like, all right, you got it? Great. And we'd play the next 10 minutes. This took us like three days or something. And, but podcasts, we can really look back at the history of BlockWorks and credit podcasts for our understanding. And so we're, again, not these like entrenched media folks. Yeah. We were biased towards podcasts. We said, let's, let's build the podcast network. And, and, and by the way, I think like even extend this out to 2022, uh, there's this guy, Michael Saylor, who runs MicroStrategy, oh, yeah. bought a bunch of Bitcoin, has basically turned MicroStrategy into this like Bitcoin, like, uh, you know, a call option on Bitcoin. He, if you look at how he convinced his board members to buy Bitcoin, he's not sending them research reports. He sent them eight different podcasts to listen to. He yeah. made his entire board listen to eight podcasts. So that's kind of just the ethos of the industry. And we, we love the podcast market too. Now we have 15 different podcasts, largest podcast network in the industry. But back then we just liked podcasts and we were lucky enough. We linked up with this guy. Anthony Pompliano. He was pretty big. He had like 100,000 followers at the time. Everyone's talking about why Drake would be using Bitcoin to bet on the Super Bowl. They want Bitcoin instead of dollars. Settlement times are faster and cost is cheaper. Bitcoin is superior from a technology format than wires or ACHs. Now I'm, I think he's like a million and a half, yeah, but yeah, he's we got lucky bigger. with our first <laughs> podcast, became the number four podcast on all of iTunes. And so that was our first show. And we're like, oh my God, <laughs> this thing wasn't that hard. Little did we know, but yeah. So that was the first. Yeah. Thing. Well, I mean, every every market is different. And I feel like what's interesting about the crypto market is that it has so many peculiarities, right? Like, I mean, you go on Twitter and I think that's, again, it's strengths. And I think people end up, you know, criticizing it or being turned off from it for because of that, um, those peculiarities. Like, you know, you go on like, if you get like pulled into like, crypto Twitter. It's a different world, honestly. Um, a lot of people like have cat avatars and stuff like this, and they're using a lot of acronyms, like I said before, that like you really have, at, le at least for me, I have to try to like translate. Um, not like the big ones, like NGMI. I, what's, I know wrong, those. What, what, what's wrong with the cat avatar, Brian? Why, <laughs> why are you throwing shade at the cat avatar? <laughs> I don't own any NFTs yet. But I think like that's, it's interesting because I think one of the big white spaces in crypto is this inherent distrust of institutions, right? So when crypto to me is, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like from an outsider perspective, like 
Crypto is very defined by what it's against, right? Like Bitcoin was born out of the financial crisis and it was in opposition to a lot of failings of institutions. So I feel like that ethos really works against established brands, right? Because nobody who is a true believer in crypto in my view, is going to trust the Financial Times, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times when they are um, covering crypto or even CNBC. Yeah, I so I would say yes. So I agree with you. There is this like inherent distrust of the institutions, and that's definitely the ethos of the, of the space. And yeah, Bitcoin was born out of the financial crisis and all, all that kind of fun stuff. I think the mistrust of the media comes from... Um, I mean, first off, there's a, it's not just crypto, like there's a bigger thing going on in America where there's like a mistrust of institutions and like trust of institutions and government and the media is at an all time low. So it's not just crypto. But, but that's what, but just to be clear, that's what I think what what makes crypto super interesting is that is it is part and parcel of a larger overall societal trend to like, to, to distrust institutions and to want to create a, a new and ideally better future. Right. Well, actually, I, I think that's really important because like when I talk to folks about crypto, everyone's like, everyone says the same thing. Like, oh, I don't understand it. It's this complex. They're like, yeah, I see all the kids are doing it, but like, what is crypto and blockchain? They're like, I could never understand it. I'm like, great. That doesn't matter. You don't understand, you know, the protocol of the web page that we're using for this application right now is HTTP. You don't understand that if you use Gmail, you're using the SMT protocol every single day. You don't need to understand the Ethereum protocol, right? You don't need to understand. But what you do do you believe that the world is going more digital? Do you believe that we should be able to send money instantaneously around the world, uh, right, in two seconds or less? Do you believe that it's too hard to issue equity if you're a company? Do you believe that the payment rails that we've built on, uh, you know, ACH launched in like 1972, we're using 50-year-old payment rails, should that be improved? Do you love your banking experience? I'm assuming I know the answer to all of those. So therefore, that is the narrative for crypto right now. That is why all this stuff is getting built. It's not this like, esoteric like movement of anybody it's just an improvement upon technology financial technology improves every 10 years right like credit cards and atms and better accounting machines and you have like retail brokerages like e-trade and charles schwab then you have like venmo and all every 10 years like financial technology just improves and crypto is not this like super weird thing it's just an improvement upon financial technology but as far as building a media brand for this space The way I see it is you're standing in some ways between the old world and the new world, right? So like you want to be able to appeal to both sides, so to speak. And one side is very institutional. They're very used to the CNBC and that sort of thing. But the other side, and I joke with the cat avatar, but the needs of that kind of audience and their preferences and their biases are somewhat different. So you're trying to have one foot in, in both these worlds. Yeah, you're exactly right. Media has done themselves a disservice because they're hyper skeptical of crypto. That's just like yeah. mainstream media, hyper skeptical of crypto, and therefore they don't cover it very well at all. And so the coverage is like a solid two out of 10. And so that leaves a massive white space for uh, crypto media companies to come in. And like there are other great crypto media companies too, right? Like Blockworks is not the other, only one. There are other great ones that we love and I know all their founders and they're good friends of mine. And every day I'm like, why isn't the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal taking this seriously? Like that is mind blowing to me. This is a $2 trillion industry and that leaves a massive white space for us. So getting into your question about like bridging the gap, if you look at our website, it you know doesn't come as much of a surprise of like who we took inspiration from. It looks like a Bloomberg meets Wall Street Journal with some like maybe cool crypto images on it. But the feel is like Bloomberg. And that's because we have 
120 people from JP Morgan that sub subscribed to our newsletter last month. Those JP Morgan people need something that looks and feels like right. something they understand so that when we're putting this crazy content in there, they're like, oh, but okay, the, the wrapper is clean. I like the wrapper around this crazy content. Yeah. But so you, you want to reach the people at JP Morgan, right? Sometimes there's different needs for different sides of the audience, right? So this sort of true believer, the people are super deep in the speeds and feeds aspect to use the early sort of tech journalism term. They're like on the crypto side, but you're trying to appeal to the people who need to know crypto in order to apply it to their particular context within an institution. Yeah, that's exactly right. I would say you're catching us at a really interesting time, which is BlockWorks, I would draw a line in the sand from BlockWorks like 1.0 and BlockWorks 2.0. And that is like where we're at exactly right now, moving into what I'd call like BlockWorks 2.0, which is the last three years were the entire goal was to build the best institutional media brand in crypto. And I think I can solidly say that we've done that. I think that we've built the most institutionally focused conferences. We have the largest institutionally focused newsletter. The, the website, like the webinars, everything that we do, very, every single view are on Wall Street or in capital markets allocating to crypto. You read BlockWorks or listen to our podcast in, in some way or another. Now we are expanding the scope of the business, which is, I would say that was a very B2B business. We're now venturing into the prosumer side of things as well. And there's a really specific reason for this, which is if you think about for the last like 50 years, right? Who's, who's a big investor? It's like the money managers, right? It's the yeah. family offices. It's the high net worth individuals. It's the hedge fund managers. It's the private equity folks. It's VCs. In crypto, that looks different because the movement was kind of built from, the, from retail up. Like institutions get, didn't get into this stuff until pretty late. So we had like the retail folks had like 10 years to front run the opportunity. So like there are a lot of people who are 23 years old and have $100 million allocated to this stuff. Don't tell me this, Jason. Don't tell me this. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> then I won't tell you it, but it's true. And I know it because we know the people and they read our stuff. Jesus. And there are more than you would like to admit. And you're living with all them in, in uh, Miami, Brian. Uh, so you're stuck with them until oh you come back God. to New York. But that a is movie. a new sort of investor that has never... The new sort of investor that's never existed. So, and, and by the way, Paradigm, the best, one of the, one of the top five VCs in all of crypto, they just hired a new research analyst yesterday, uh, earlier this week. I'm reading his bio. The last line of his bio says in his free time, he also attends high school in California, right? So these that's what, that's one of the things yeah. that crypto's broken down is like these age barriers, right? Yeah, yeah. So I I I want to like correct the record but to the young whales out there because I know you're all loyal listeners. I I have nothing against you. Get <laughs> get what's yours. Secure the bag, etc. There's probably some acronym I don't know. I, I fully support you. Um, but tell me about that because like I think that's an interesting dynamic because like your event like you have an event coming up down here, um, a little north of here. I think it's in Palm Beach, right? Um, but it's massive. It's not like I think about financial uh, conferences. I don't think of five, 6,000 people. Yeah. So we're hosting an event called Permissionless. It's May 17th through 19th. We thought there would be 5,000 people. It's just what, what doesn't exist right now is just an industry conference to bring together everyone on all these crazy people on crypto Twitter who you know, maybe have, have built some wealth over the last couple of years. There's no one place for them to go hang out together. Um, and that's what we're building, right? So it's a three-day event. You've got everything from like the biggest panelists and speakers in the world, like the Chris Dixons, who leads Crypto to Andreessen Horowitz, and like yeah. these really, really large 
folks speaking and the biggest companies are sponsored like coinbase is the presenting partner but we're also doing funky things right we've got a big nft gallery um i think uh i actually i can't say the dj but we've got some really big djs who are going to come out and play to like five thousand people we're putting on a concert so that's like feels like a festival yeah we've got art galleries that we're partnering with we're launching our own nfts right so we've got all these funky things going on so let's just say there's gonna be five thousand people there'll probably be more than that like these are all investors in crypto or like, because I think crypto is interesting because it's like, it touches so many different parts. A lot of focus is on finance because financialization is, is at the heart of it. But there is a cultural element to this, which is makes it interesting to me, at least. The idea of what an investor is, is changing. So I think this is a big pushback that we get when we kind of explain this at Blockworks, which is like, but they're all, but they're all investors, right? That's a very common thing to say. I think that's because of how like quote unquote web two is different than web three web two. What it did is it brought information online and it made it so that information flowed freely. Like you could now send a text message or a video or an image and you'd get that instantaneously. And therefore you were, everyone became users, right? You like 1000 X the amount of users who consume content and things like that, but you were a consumer and a user. Now, because of this, uh, because of what, like just how crypto works and how blockchain works, where you need a token for everything, the, a user and an investor are the same thing now, right? Like I might be an art collector and in the past, I'm just an art collector, but now I own the NFT and let's say I have $20,000 worth of NFTs, but I've collected them. But am I an investor as well? Like, I think so. I think everyone, I think we should categorize everyone as investors because you're empowering people, especially young people, to take control of their financial decisions. And that's what we would like to happen over the next couple of years. Like the current system is clearly broken. Um, and so we, I think crypto is one of the many ways that you can empower young people to think more like investors, which is good. I, we think that's good. Yeah. And I think it's, again, it's like one of those, everyone's strengths becomes their weaknesses, but that's the strength I think of crypto, but then it's used against it because people say it's all speculation. Oh, it's definitely the weakness as well. Yeah. Get rich quick. Um, and people are going to lose. What is there's like a meme that like people are gonna have to go back and work at McDonald's or something like that. I don't know. There's just a whole different way of communicating. That's like, it's more Reddit than anything else. It seems to me like culturally. And I think that that can be like a really difficult, um, way in, but let's talk about the business. So you're going to do $20 million this year or more. What are you going to do? Uh, I think, I mean, yeah, you're probably pulling that from the Digiday article. We, um, I saw that from, yeah, from Kaylee Barber. Yeah. Shout out to you, Kaylee. Cause I would have, I would have been bugging you, Kaylee, to get the number out of Jason's. <laughs> <laughs> she was, uh, she was pulling it out of me. Um, yeah, I, we, I think we thought we would do over 20 million this year. It's looking like it'll be maybe a decent chunk higher, but, um, you know, it's, it's a very cyclical market. So it's, it's always tough to say. Yeah. Okay. And is that mostly events? Like, how are you looking at the revenue? No. Of so that was, that was one of, so we used to, our revenue, like going into 2020 was 80% events. And we're like, this is awesome. We make so much money from these things. And then COVID hit and we're like, oh shit, we just lost 80% of our revenue. And so one of the big focuses of 20, the second half of 2020, like the post or mid COVID, whatever you want to call that. And then 2021 was diversifying our revenue stream. So we're pretty diversified across like four different avenues. I'd say, um, one is conferences definitely generate a decent chunk of change from those. The second is podcasts, definitely generate a decent chunk of change from those. Then you've got uh, the newsletter and then you've got digital. So digital would be like 
branded content, um, investor guides, the webinars, uh, the regular we have a sort of news ticker on the website, the okay. web ticker, yeah, webinar, exactly, exactly. And so that's the fourth bucket. There will be a subscription play later this year, but that, but right now it's entirely advertising and sponsorship based. Wow, that's amazing. Well, and tickets too for yeah. for the events, right? Tickets too, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's like amazing because like I so how do you think about this because like you know I I like go to going down like the list of your like sponsors and stuff like this like I, some of them are new to me but like I'll Google them and then I'll be like oh it just they just closed the Series E for four hundred and fifteen million dollars at like a eight billion dollar valuation I'm like yeah not too big. I know the numbers are just like, honestly, they're just like stratospheric. Like people could be like, oh yeah, yeah, they're, they're, you know, their series A is like 88 billion. I'd be like, okay, sure. It reminds me of like how people used to come on my old podcast and, and talk about their like, uh, you know, Facebook video views of like 6 trillion. I'd be like, okay, that's, that sounds reasonable. Um, but how much, I mean, you obviously yeah, are surfing yeah. a wave. It's good to be in a market that like has, has this much money coming into it. So is this like a land grab? Because like, I, I, I see that there's, there's a lot of money going around in like, for instance, it's a much lower level, but around sports betting, there might be a parallel here. And those are going to, those deals are going to end because it's a land grab. Yeah. So here's what's happening in crypto is you've got all like the amount of venture capital money that's flowed into crypto is just bonkers. It was like 32 billion. I'm going to botch these numbers. So I won't try to give them out, but like, it could be 320 we, billion, Jason. I'd be reasons, like, okay. <laughs> you should see the hundred billion dollar round that we're about to raise. Okay, you just yeah, wait for not? that, Brian. No, one of the reasons that, uh, that BlockWorks is positioned so well is that we've known a lot of these companies since day one. So like we were in the room when like BlockFi was raising like their seed round and they had like three employees, right? We were, I remember when like Copper raised, I remember when Fireblocks raised like 2 million bucks. Well, Fireblocks just raised 500 million bucks. And so a lot of our, we've been like buddy, buddy and know all the founders and the CMOs at these companies since they had like literally four employees and like two co-founders trying to scrap together this thing. And they just raised a million bucks. And now all of these companies are unicorns and they're raising a hundred million to five hundred million, and Unicorns. when you raise that much money, they're like you decacorns. <laughs> decacorns, baby. Yeah, unicorn is so two thousand and fourteen. Yeah, that was like a big deal. That was One like the that's the web that, two like web you, two point oh raised, show. I know, I know. I feel like TechCrunch. So, um, if you uh, if you um, go raise, if you're building a software company and you go raise a billion dollars, I mean, they're not it's not really much. You what are you going to do with that? There's only two things. You go take half of that. And you spend it on product. You hire engineers and designers and front end and back end and full stack and all that fun stuff. You spend a bunch of money there. And then you go acquire users and customers. And that's marketing and sales. And Blockworks, we we know, I mean, we've we've worked with hundreds of companies in the industry, like the Coinbase's and Gemini's and BlockFi's and Aves and Uniswaps. They're all big clients and customers of ours. And so they raise around and they come to us and they're like, hey, we've got three million dollars to spend. How how should we allocate that? And um and some some of it goes to BlockWorks, and we'll we'll just guide people, right? Yeah, it's always great to attach yourself to a market that's booming like that. Um, very jealous. Uh, so I, I want to talk just to, to end on the the Web three stuff, right? Because a lot of the stuff is in the the financial world and DeFi, the decentralized finance, and that's amazing. And it's massive, right? But I think a lot of people are looking at this as the next technological paradigm shift. I think. Let's leave the metaverse stuff to aside for a minute. How do you explain Web3? Because uh, uh, nobody seems... It's like the vibe shift. No, people agree that it's happening, but they can't actually describe what it is. I think it's a lot 
more concrete than the vibe shift. I think that the easy explanation for Web3 is basically just an improvement upon financial technology. That's the literally the only thing that's happening here. And you're just... um you're basically taking a bunch of things that are analog and archaic. So, so again, I mentioned this earlier, but like the thing that the internet did that was so freaking cool is it brought all this stuff online. It brought information online and it made it so information could flow freely from person to person instantaneously, pictures, videos, um, text, all, all that kind of stuff flowed freely. The only thing it didn't change is how monetary value moved on the internet. So what's wild is like you send a text to your friend in London, they're going to get it in one second. I send a wire to my friend in London, it takes three days. Like that just that just doesn't make sense. Like the banking system still uses SWIFT and, and ACH, which was built in 1972. So all so like crypto is just an improvement upon financial technology. And so when you look at DeFi, like Everyone's like, oh, aren't, isn't DeFi just recreating the tr traditional financial markets? Like, aren't we just basically building exchanges and stuff here? Yeah, absolutely. And that's amazing because I hate yeah. my bank account and I've never had a good experience with my bank account. And so why are you upset that we're building better financial technologies here? And then with artists, it's like NFTs and all this stuff. Why are you... Why I have a bunch of friends who are artists. They've made more money with NFTs in the past year than they ever have in their life. Why Why are you mad that these artists are doing really, really well right now? So that's all that's happening. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of Web3 profits. And it's become a meme. Web3 changes all of this, you know? Isn't it a meme? And it's because there's a lot of people who are making promises that maybe they're like standing in an intersection in Miami holding up a sign like the Web 2.0 world is ending and that we're going to have new, these new structures and NFTs, I think, were the first sort of tangible example of this promise of a lot of people were using could and should when it comes to Web 3 technologies, an entirely new architecture of ownership for the digital economy. Are you skeptical of that? Because there's a lot of promises that are being made that at least that I read. I am not skeptical at all. No, I just think that people over estimate how quickly things happen. So in like night in uh, in 2017 I remember everyone's like the institutions are coming. The institutions are coming. And everyone's like and then in 20 that was in 2017. Then 2018 like JP Morgan would say something and you're like see the institutions are here. Well, no, it took they, they're not so they're still not here. It's 5 years later, right? But they're coming slowly but surely. And like Paul Tudor Jones, there there's like these little moments that change everything in history, right? And so like the moment for hedge funds getting into crypto was, I think it was June or July of 2020, when Paul Tudor Jones, one of the most famous hedge fund managers of all time, called Bitcoin the fastest horse in the race. And what that did is it took away the career risk of hedge fund managers allocating to crypto. And now it's like, see, Paul Tudor Jones did it. Yeah. These, there's okay. these little moments in time, right? And so that just continues happening. So when I see, but like when I see things like DAOs and metaverse stuff so it's a wild like metaverse stuff is wildly bubbly right now like it's what but bubbles are good but i think that's one of the things that i really disagree with people on bubbles bring capital and talent and like that's how innovative technologies get built like if you look at um like if you look at the rail like railroads railroads went through a massive mania from 1840 to 18 like 70 and all these bubbles right of building railroads to transcontinental railroads and like the railroad index went from like 200 to 2000 in like three years and then it crashed all the way down railroad but, but then the, obviously railroads got built right but bubbles just bring talent and capital and that's what that's what crypto keeps doing yeah but as far as web3 and media 
goes, you're a web 2.0 company in some ways, right? I mean, as far as I can tell, you're using, you're an LLC probably. And I don't think that most of your revenue is coming in through crypto and you don't have a DAO. Maybe you're going to be doing some NFTs and stuff like this, but Explain, is it just too early? Because if the publications covering crypto are themselves not quote unquote crypto native, then it's clearly too early. That's the way I'm gauging it. Yeah, it's it's too early. You're exactly right. And like the way that we think about it is, um, it's going to sound really obnoxious comparing Blockworks to Netflix here, but like Reed Hastings in the late 1990s. Although their stock's down 40%, so you might want to go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, shit, don't <laughs> compare it to them. Yeah, but Reed Hastings knew that Netflix would eventually go online and create what we now know of as Netflix. But back then it was just, you remember, like you used to mail these DVDs in uh, into Netflix and they'd send it back to you and stuff like that. But every year, his whole team would be like, is now the year? Is this the year? And he'd be like, no, broadband's not good enough, guys. It, we yeah. still, it's too slow. It's too slow. And then one year he said, boom, now this is the year and let's do it. And that changed everything for Netflix. And one day we will do that at Blockworks. Like we, there will one day be a Blockworks DAO. We will okay. eventually turn a lot of our stuff into NFTs, whether that's content or podcast episodes or NFTs for subscriptions instead of subscriptions one day. But the tooling is just not there yet. So like we're using Riverside. Riverside didn't exist until last year. Podcast tooling is getting better too. It's like sometimes things make sense, but the tooling just isn't good enough. Right. But I yeah. strongly, strongly believe in in what, where all this stuff is going. Yeah. Just to wrap it up, because I'm, I'm thinking about writing about it like later, I guess when this comes out in the week, is inevitabilities. It was inevitable that you were going to be streaming video uh, uh, over broadband. Like it was inevitable. I remember like, I actually sat out, this is the one I got right. I sat out getting a DVD player because I was like, this is clearly a bridge technology. And then they dropped to like $25 and I'm like, I'm still (laughs) holding out because it was inevitable. And just the question is at what time you're almost arguing about timeframes. I I don't know why people get like so upset about it. It's almost like the mask stuff. It's just the time. It's like, do, do, do they end now or do they end in like a few weeks? It's just like, calm down. Yeah, I think you're right. But I think what people get wrong is thinking that crypto is going to like change all these things. It's not crypto. Crypto is just a tool for all this stuff. So like Jared Dicker, yeah. got to love the guy. He's been pumping like media crypto, the convergence of for so long. The reason Jared is both right and wrong on some of this stuff, like he, if you listen to Jared's stuff, he's not saying this crypto does this. He says, look at the headwinds, right? So when he talks about like DAOs, for example, it's not the crypto technology is going to change all this stuff and like DAOs are going to change everything. It's media. His thesis is that media companies are talent companies and that web to like the structure right now is not set up to maximize and make that ma- maximize all the value from that. And so like his thesis is media companies are talent companies. Secondary thesis is there should be a new media structure that is owned by creators, operators, and consumers. Well, I'm, I don't know if you've ever issued equity. It's an absolute pain in the ass. It's an absolute nightmare. And like, it's, it's, it's so freaking hard. It's, it's horrible. It's just a horrible process. DAOs are not this massive paradigm shift and all this stuff. Like people think they are DAOs are just uh, a corporate structure for a world where it's fully remote and fully digital and fully like, like fully global. That's all that a DAO is. It's like an LLC, but built for a world where it's remote and global and digital and so with, with some wrinkles, I don't know, Dow with some, with some wrinkles as there I don't know, should. when I love the idea of DAOs, which are decent, those who don't know, decentralized autonomous organizations, but like, that's what people get wrong. Like 
I don't know. It's based on smart contracts and stuff. It seems to me like a homeowner's association with like a nudist colony and a little bit of Lord of the Flies. Why not? Web3 fixes this. What's, what's, what's right. I bet I agree with you more than you think. So, Brian, this has been awesome, man. You are an, an excellent interviewer, and I've been listening to your podcast for a while, and the newsletter is a must-subscribe, too. Awesome. So this is, this is awesome. I appreciate cool. you bringing me on. Thank you so much, Jason. And thank you all for listening. Uh, we will be back next week with a new episode.